Hello, everyone. Welcome to Quantum Nurse Freedom International live stream. Warm greetings to all of you from all of us. And today we're going to have a really very good, empowering, and perhaps conversation, or not perhaps, for sure. For sure, it's a conversation so that we don't keep falling on the same trap again and again and again. Because that's really not <laughs> very good for all of us. And also, could you imagine if we still haven't opened our eyes to what's really been happening in, in we're just even asking for what's happening in the last four years. But all these things that we're going to talk about is has been happening for centuries. Most of us weren't even born yet. So we have Alex Craner and we, I thank you again and again for his dedication and commitment in in his Substack. So you could get him from um, Substack, the Alex Craner's Trend Compass at, at Substack.com. And I, he also has his blog, the NakedHedgy.com. And Alex Craner is a um, author, a market analyst, futures trader, investor, and he has a background in uh, managing um, funds. Um, but most of all, he is truly awake and he knows how to connect the dots that could make us really understand without much anger. You know, when I say anger, like we become really vengeful that we don't, we just suddenly put ourselves in one side and the other and not really analyzing everything. So, and Alex has um, a lot of books that I'm going to put in the uh, ticker here. And I want Alex to talk about those books a little bit. So for you, and especially the, the those are, has a free download things. So Alex, thank you again. And please, yeah, let them know what you've been up to and what really triggered you or and maintained you and motivated you to do what you're doing now. I think the main reason, Grace, thank you, by the way, first of all, and uh, warm greetings from Monaco to all the participants and all the viewers and listeners. Um, what has motivated me principally is the... Um, the commitment to do what I can to defend peace and to prevent an outbreak of war that I um, that I've been sensing since um, well, let's call it 2016, 2017. Um, well, no, 2015. I can I can put the date on there because that's the date. That's the that's the year uh, when I read uh, Bill Browder's book Red Notice, and Red Notice is the um, it was a it was a it was a bestseller on Amazon. It has like five billion five star reviews, and. Uh, Basically, uh, the man who wrote it, Bill Browder, used to be the largest, uh, the, the, the owner and manager of the largest foreign-owned hedge fund in Russia during the 1990s. And I met him twice, and I, I had a vague idea about him, about what he's about, uh, what he does, and all of these things. And it is thanks to him that I started paying attention to the 
relationship between Russia and the West. And uh, up until I got a copy of his book from my ex-wife, I used to think of him as a, as a, as a positive character, as a good guy. Uh, and then I read his book and I was, I was very perplexed um, because I knew about things that he was writing about and it didn't add up. And uh, anyway, to cut the long story short, uh, reading his book made me realize that he's not just one lone fund manager out there to generate the highest possible return on investment for his investors, that he was part of a much, much larger network. And I realized that this, these people are the network that could drag us into a World War III between Russia and the, and the Western powers. And so that's how I wrote my second book called The Grand Deception, because I thought I, well, first I thought somebody needed to unmask this man and, and, and the people who are behind him. And then I realized, well, I think that I probably know more about this than the average person. And so I thought maybe, maybe I have to write it myself. And I decided to do that because I, you know, I, I'm a father. Uh, if I, I have to be able to tell myself that I did what I could uh, to make sure that my children don't end, end up as, as as cannon fodder and that they can live, uh, you know, a good life uh, in in prosperity and security. And that kind of took a life all of its own because my book got banned literally five weeks after I published it. And um, then it got picked up by a publisher named uh, Red Pill Press who, you know, combed over the book to make sure there was nothing in there that was inaccurate that they could get sued over. Uh, and then they republished it with a different title because the original title was The Killing of William Browder. And so they thought maybe that, you know, the killing in the title might have been an offending factor, so we renamed it uh, Grand Deception. And then they published it under their own label, and then it took six weeks for it to get banned again. And uh, basically, you know, that was that was pretty much a confirmation that I was over the target. And uh, so I kind of remained... Uh, you know, in addition to my day job, which is not, which is no longer, you know, it's it's related to financial market, but I I, I no longer uh, manage directly people's investments. I don't know. I, I no longer work as a fund manager. But uh, you know, uh, being active, writing, publishing has become part of my life. And as I observe things happening, uh, you know, we we saw over the last several years that we really are moving dangerously in the direction of uh, military escalations. And so uh, uh, I just feel an inner compulsion to try to push the other way uh, in towards greater peace, greater understanding, uh, greater security. And I think that the way I think the truth is the light that is uh, shining the way forward. So I'm, you know, I read, I research, I'm trying to understand what's going on and I try to uh, share my understanding of what's going on. And I think that uh, 
as as events have unfolded, I think that they have pretty much borne out that I'm generally on the right track with the way I I see things, which is you know in a way in a way not so good, but in a way it's very good because I'm also. Uh, in addition to being very concerned about the out outbreak of World War III, I'm also generally very optimistic about the future uh, we we could potentially uh, leave behind for uh, future generations. So that's the that's the good part, and that's you know that's the part that is additionally motivating. Yeah, I can truly say that you're living your life of motivation and i can see that because on the way you write on the truth that and yeah if 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 possible when we can hope that what you're writing is not true but it is true so we have no other choice but to really just feel it but on the and at the end you will always always insert whether it's in your writing or in your public speaking your faith in the creativity of humanity and that you will there's always something that we have accomplished so powerfully except that it's never been on the mainstream education to make us feel that so i lately i've i thought that whenever there's something that we that mainstream says don't listen to this or don't do that it's like I, I kind of think that's the opposite of what I need to do. And so when you wrote, and and, and I, I like this topic, war, not because I love war or no one loves war, but it's happening. And although we're, they say we're in the precipice, for me, we are at war in a different scale. So in your article, and you place their oligarchist great, the war is an oligarchist great silencer. What do you mean by that? And what are they trying to silence? And this is just one of the many questions I have in my mind in terms of war. And I'll just uh, uh, mention other questions. And I just like you to help us, us and the viewers understand how do we make sense of everything that's happening? How do we not get into the trap? And yeah, what are they trying to silence? Is war necessary and who really benefits in the war? So I like to kind of lead us in that conversation. And thank you so much for everything that you do in all your writing and being um, always accepting my invitation to come back. Well, it's a, uh, Grace, it's a pleasure to accept your invitations. I very much enjoy uh, connecting with you on this podcast. And uh, that's very kind what you said. Um, to try to explain, uh, we have to start with the financial system, you know, to, to try to explain the, 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 the global events. And I know that this is a, this is a slightly convoluted uh, explanation, but it's the only one that actually makes sense and uh, is consistent with everything that we can observe happening around the world. So, uh, you know, we have a, we have a monetary system that is absolutely fraudulent, and uh, it basic it's, it is based on um, fiat currency and fractional reserve lending. Uh, now, 
the effect of this system is that you always tend to have a lot more debt in the economic system than you have money to pay off those debts. So the debts are unpayable. It's mathematical and it's only a question of time. This system is only, only grows. Uh, in so uh, sorry, the system is only stable insofar as it grows. So um, the reason is that all the money that gets put into circulation in, in an economy is uh, reflects debt. So if for any amount of euros or dollars or yen or, or whatever currency you want to pick in the world, for any amount of it to get into circulation, somebody has to take on debt. The problem is that only the principal goes into circulation of the debt, but it has to be paid back with interest. So if you take a typical mortgage, maybe, you know, you borrow $100,000, but over the life of the mortgage of whatever, 20, 25, 30 years, you have to pay double as much, except that only $100,000 became available as purchasing power the moment you... Uh, you took on that mortgage. And so the only way for there to be additional money in circulation is for other people to get into debt. And then, you know, they have to repay it with interest too. So the, the, whole, the whole system is a giant Ponzi scheme, literally. So it's only stable for as long as you can draw more and more and more people into it. But, you know, the... Any economy has only a finite uh, capacity to to carry debt. You know, you 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 maybe you can maybe you can uh, continue paying off a hundred thousand dollar debt or half a million dollar debt, whatever. But you can't take on ten million or fifty million or a billion dollars of debt. So it's 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 it really is finite. And it starts to level off. You know, at the moment where you know the the principal uh, chunks of in, in, infrastructure in society have been built. Uh, people have homes, jobs, uh, cars, second cars, holiday homes. They have clothes on their back. They, they, they're well fed. You know, from that point on, nobody's very strongly inclined to go deeper into debt uh, to buy a third, fifth, tenth, tenth home and 15th car and uh, you know, it, it, it levels off. So at that point, the the system is at risk of collapsing because it's no longer growing at a sufficient rate to keep it stable. And so at that point, uh, you have to get the government into the game. And the governments, um, you know, they, they have to take on debt. It's not sufficient for them to just tax and spend because taxation doesn't create additional purchasing power. It just shifts purchasing power from, you know, people who earned it to the government. And it changes the nature of spending because you and I might spend our money in one way, the government is going to spend it in a different way. And what tends to happen usually is that governments uh, favor military spending. Not everywhere, not in all countries, but in, let's say, these... Um, imperially and colonially inclined nations. It tends to be military spending. In, in, in other cultures, in other countries, you know, you get uh, 
spending on monuments, on space programs, on infrastructure programs, um, pyramids, uh, cathedrals, whatever. But in the Western world, uh, in colonial nations like uh, Great Britain, France, uh, United States, Spain, uh, it's, it's tended to strong, the politics has tended to strongly favor military spending. Uh, now, when the, when the system starts to go into a crisis, because the, by, when, as you pay off debts, when debts are being paid off, money gets extinguished, right? The money, that money disappears. And now you start having loss of purchasing power in the system. And then you start having crises. And then people, people's ability to carry debt and to service it diminishes. So you have to start imposing, um, how do you call this, um, austerity. And this austerity gets more and more savage and people start really suffering. You know, they, they, they have difficulties making ends meet. You end up with a lot of unemployed people. You get more and more homeless people. Uh, the government have to divert more and more money towards payment, repayment of debt and away from, uh, you know, social services like healthcare and policing and, uh, you know, keeping the cities clean, maintenance of uh, libraries, parks, and so on. And so now people start getting really, really unhappy with the situation, and you have uh, social pressures that build up. And then, you know, the, the result is, and it has been for more than 2,000 years, the result has been, hey, let's go to war. Because, you know, the the segment of the population that is that represents the greatest risk to the established order are let's say military age men you know and uh, these military age men are those who are most inclined to go out there and try to change the system because it's not working out and their families are suffering well, at that point, you know, the, 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 the authorities, the powers that be are going to start screaming enemies at the gate, barbarians at the gate. And they're going to start the propaganda about uh, evil barbarians who are coming to destroy our way of life, who will come and sack our towns and kill our children and rape our women and so forth. And uh, then people feel inclined, exactly the right sort of people, they feel inclined to defend their homes and their cities and their country. You have a, you have a, you know, a, an explosion of patriotic fervor and let's go kill these evil um, barbarians, these enemies, whatever, you know, the, 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 the Huns, the Visigoths, the Russians, the Chinese, whatever. And, uh, you know, that allows the powers that be, the oligarchies in charge, uh, to sacrifice a large number of these, of these people, of the men. Uh, some of them will end up, you know, being loyal and capable, and they'll end up uh, getting privileged jobs in defending the, you know, the established order. And so the, you know, 
the system kind of converges on the state of permanent warfare because you have to keep manufacturing the crises to explain uh, why everything is bad. Oh, because, you know, Muslim extremists and terrorists and, oh, no, it's, it's you know, it's Saddam, it's, uh, it's Assad, it's, it's the Russians, it's the Muslims, it's the, it's, it's the Chinese. We have to always be fighting somebody. And uh, every bad thing that happens is explained by pointing to an external enemy and directing people's grievances and anger and hatred towards that external enemy. And so, you know, we've, we've seen that over the last 20 years, you know, we, we were very strongly encouraged to hate the Muslims. And then, you know, that got old. And then it was what it was, you know, uh, Gaddafi and then Saddam and uh, the Taliban. And, uh, you know, most recently it was the Russians and now they're building up for the Chinese. And now, you know, courtesy of Israel, we have, we have the Muslim extremists once again, who are now threatening our cities. And, 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 and so it goes on and on and on. And then you realize, my gosh, you know, we're always at war. But we're also always less and less prosperous than we used to be. And, you know, for the first time in living memory, people today actually expect that their children will be less well off than they were, that we were. And people wonder, well, how come, you know, since, you know, we're so productive, productivity is through the roof, right? It's, it's, it's insane how productive we are. But maybe 50 years ago, one blue collar job could uh, comfortably maintain a family of four or five. And today, two white collar jobs can barely make ends meet for, you know, a household of two or three people. And then people start noticing that their kids, you know, they've done everything right. They went to school, they got good grades, they got, they went to university, they got a degree, uh, you know, they got a professional job but it looks like they're going to be moving back home with the parents because they can't afford the rent and all the other expenses. And so, you know, the, the, the whole society is designed in a way that the wealth that we create, the productivity of our labors, the, the, create, the, the, the creativity of the people, the inventiveness, merely shifts that wealth gradually but constantly from the people who create the wealth to a, a very narrow uh, parasitic oligarchy that is draining that wealth away. And because this setup is so valuable to them, they will do everything and anything to keep it intact and to make sure that some revolution doesn't blow up on them and upsets the cart. And the most reliable way of doing that is to constantly invent foreign enemies and to constantly provoke foreign wars and to constantly divert people's attention from uh, the, the plunder that they're being subjected to in everyday life to the barbarians at the gate. All right, so I, I hope that made sense. Um, but maybe and one just day to, just to... on that with like because you know we heard like the Rothschilds kind of own the whole banking system or whoever it is that's controlling everything. 
And I heard there's a few countries that were outside of that. So they were the countries like Iraq attacked, Libya attacked, and Iran is supposed to be another one. Is this part of the whole thing? Because they're kind of saying, oh, Iran is supporting Hamas and all this kind of stuff. Is this just to totally control the whole monetary system? Uh, I believe so. But, you know, yeah. And, and, and then we can even get into that question. You know, how is Iran supporting Hamas? I mean, that is, that would be almost as absurd as saying that Russia is supporting the Azov Battalion in Ukraine, you know, the Nazis in Ukraine. And I'll, I'll explain because this is not, this is not clear. And I was, you know, I was on a call recently with people who are, you know, very well informed otherwise, but they're just saying this as though everybody knows it's true. It's just repetition. It's Iran, it's Iran, it's Iran. And I asked them like, but do you have any evidence whatsoever that Iran has any involvement because the Iranians themselves said we have nothing we had nothing to do with the Hamas attack on 7th October and the Israeli government said that they had no evidence that Iran was involved and the American government said that they had no evidence that the Iranians were involved but the commentariat keeps repeating it that it's the Iranians allow me to explain so Hamas so first of all we have to distinguish Hamas and Hezbollah, that, that also people keep mixing up like it's the same thing. It's not. Iranians do support openly the Hezbollah, which is the, uh, you know, uh, Shia Islamic movement and political organization in, in Lebanon. And they're also a military organization. And they are a real threat to the state of Israel. Okay. Hamas is a different thing altogether. Hamas is the creation of Israel. Uh, it was created in order to um, fracture Palestine, the, the political organization of the Palestinian people. You know, very straight up uh, divide and conquer tactic. You know, you created, you had, uh, you had the Palestinian Liberation Organization, which was... Um, you know, a secular political organization struggling for the emancipation, liberation of the Palestinian people. And so uh, Israel created, helped create Hamas, which was an Islamic, an Islamist Sunni organization, which, well, you know, ostensibly Islamist, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm not even buying that. They are some kind of, um, you know, um, intelligence front which does have certain political weight in the gaza strip because you know they're they're literally receiving hundreds of millions of dollars but not from iran they're getting it from qatar that we know for sure they're getting it from the united states and they're probably getting it in some ways from from uh, from the uh, from the israelis and maybe other arab countries um, well, the fact that they are receiving money from Qatar and from other, uh, let's say, countries that were at least until very recently Western allied countries tells you everything you need to know because who pays the piper calls the tune. That's just how it is. You know, money is going somewhere and somebody in the organization has the authorization 
to dispose of that money, to use it. And they're going to use it in the way the paymaster says. Otherwise, the paymaster is going to withdraw the authorization and it's going to give it to somebody else. So, you know, like if you're, if you're, a, a, what's his name? Uh, Hanie, uh, I, I forget his first name. You're going to do as, as, as told. So, you know, the Palestinian people had one, let's call it reliable friend in the government of Bashar al-Assad in Syria. And they offered a safe haven to Hamas and they had their headquarters in Damascus. And then when the West decided to crush Syria in 2011, um, Hamas was offered uh, to move the headquarters to um, Qatar. They were offered hundreds of millions of dollars in support. They took the money, they stabbed the Syrian government in the back, and they moved to Qatar. And they expressed their support for, for the you know, democratic processes in Syria, uh, which, you know, as we know, you know, we had Free Syrian Army, we had the, the moderate uh, terrorists there, ISIS and Al-Qaeda, um, you know, all proxies of the Western powers that wanted to um, break the regime of Bashar al-Assad and uh, uh, regime change Syria. And rather than standing by their friend and ally, Hamas, um, threw them under the bus. So that's, that's who Hamas is. And since Hamas is being paid by the Western intelligence, um, deep state structures, then Hamas is going to do as they told them, as, as they tell them. And so what happened in Israel, I would not be surprised if there were some inner sanctum of Hamas operatives, the ones that are closest, you know, the ones that probably have uh, signatures on the bank accounts, who made sure that this happened when it was convenient for Israel, uh, who probably mobilized maybe a large group of Palestinian men who sincerely wanted to uh, martyr themselves for, you know, making some kind of a statement for uh, the freedom of Palestinian people, but there was probably a small number of uh, real, true, deep state thugs who went and committed atrocities. And now I think that it is, it is pretty clear that this was orchestrated. And, you know, why, why do I say that? I say that because um, Israelis opened the, gate, the gates of Gaza wide to to these groups to penetrate into Israel. The American intelligence warned them that something was brewing and that something was going to happen there. The Egyptian intelligence warned them. They just simply didn't act. And not only did they not act, they, they, they didn't act for several hours after it was already clear that something was going on. And then also, uh, uh, not, um, Hamas is number two. Forgive me, I, I can't cite his name off the top of my head, but he's he's a, he's based in the West Bank. He's been giving interviews saying that they are preparing uh, armed action against Israel in September, weeks before the, the, the attacks actually happened. He was he was giving 
uh, interviews to Al Jazeera announcing attacks. So the, you know, the idea that Israeli government is, was caught unawares that they were, you know, just, just thought everything was cool and they didn't have to even man the, 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 the Gaza border is very, very difficult to accept. It's very, it has no credibility whatsoever. And then, you know, Israel's reaction, which, you know, which is what we see now, feels like this is what they intended to do anyway. You know, there's no talk about ceasefire. There's no talk about, um, you know, turning over those who are guilty to face justice. It's just pummeling the whole area with, what, like a thousand bombs a day. This could be extremely important if people, I mean, this could be extremely dangerous if people somehow convince themselves that this is the work of Iran. And I gave you this whole background because I, wanna, I wanted to um, make it clear that this is about as likely to be an Iranian uh, operation as, you know, Ukraine's right-wing military formations actions could be attributed to Russia. It just doesn't make any sense. And I think it only, you know, this narrative only got legs because it is so confusing to people. You know, Hamas, Hezbollah, um, Qatar, Iran, you know, they, they cannot distinguish. And our media are not trying to uh, clarify any of this. So they're just going with this narrative and people people keep repeating it's the Iranians, it's the Iranians. And, you know, the danger is that this really leads us sleepwalking into World War II. And, you know, it's not only dangerous for all of us, it's it's extremely dangerous for the Israeli people. You know, they are, they are, they have been placed between the rock and the hard place. And the people who are driving the show have absolutely no regard for their lives any more than have any regard for the for the life of, of the Palestinian people. Like with the technology that the Israelis have, they have the most advanced in the world. I mean, I heard that even if a cockroach was going across the fence, they would know about it. Like, so that's as obvious as it is. But if you even take a few layers back, like during the lockdown, like the countries that were really jabbed to the hilt and were suffering massive consequences because of that was Israel as well. So it's like if they're trying to wipe them out themselves. Yes, exactly. And I, you know, I have to confess that uh, I was very surprised by the way the whole pandemic um, episode unfolded in Israel because I would have expected that they would go light on the Israeli people. You know, that maybe, you know, the, the, the health minister, that his or her, whatever, policy would be more similar to the way it was in Sweden. But instead, they went really hard. And, 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 and you know, like, you, you even I even came across uh, Benjamin Netanyahu bragging about how he was going to turn Israel into, into, into I don't exactly remember 
every word i don't want to misquote him but it's it's he was he was giving this speech at the world economic forum in davos and the gist of what he, he was saying is that israel would be the largest uh real life experiment or, or on on the population for these mrna vaccines and I, I i just could not believe what i was hearing you know because this is this is an experiment you know this is an untested technology this is a product that was developed with extreme haste it, you know it, it didn't take a genius to uh think that wait you know even even if everything is as they say on the tin there's risk that we don't know about so you know to 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 go that hard and that ruthlessly and unscrupulously and subject the people to to such an experiment told you everything you need to know they don't care they don't care at all they're going to sacrifice them all for their ends and what do you see that the, what how does the israelis respond to it because i was thinking um Alex, how do you respond or, or my, to someone um, when someone talks to you like, okay, my family's in Israel and they're doing okay after the incident, but the government is recalling all um, fighting age Israelis to sign up. And of course, he said, I'm getting too old for this. So... Um, my thought, of course, said if a lot of Israeli people are really, really awake, then maybe no one should sign up because it's not that they're truly defending. But the, 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 someone said, but if that's your nation and they're being invaded, what are you going to do? I said, well, first I have to ask who's really invading my nation and who's truly running and I'm signing up for whom? Wh whom am I fighting for? I said, even if just one family member, that's precious to me. I even said, if that happens in the Philippines, I'm going to say, don't even think about signing up until you know who you're fighting for. So how would you, you know, properly, if there's a proper way of responding that to people whom you might meet? that they are concerned that they're getting invaded. And is, that, is, just, is this like a way of wiping out a nation? It seems like they really want to do that. Um, I, 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 hope, I hope not. But everything you said makes complete and perfect sense. The problem, unfortunately, is that in some nations, the propaganda and the brainwash has been extremely pervasive and the censorship has been very aggressive. Unfortunately, Israel is one of those nations. And, uh, well, you know, I don't know many Israelis, but I, uh, a friend of mine is, is an Israeli journalist, uh, Efrat Fenningson, and I spoke with her. And well, you know, she told me that uh, Israel, she, not many Israelis are 
awake to all these things that they are most people are going with the you know mainstream media propaganda and they're believing things as they're presented to them and so uh, i think that the situation is very worrisome particularly now you know at this moment when the when the emotions are running hot and and you know whatever you say any 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 small any small slight um inclination to question things you're immediately attacked as a you know like ah you're a hamas supporter you're 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 a hamas apologist and so it's 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 probably a very difficult moment to try to to try to tell people um the truth i i hope and pray that external powers will prevail in pressuring the Israeli government to cease and desist before they put not just the Palestinian people into a, into a industrial scale meat grinder, but also the, the Israeli people with them because, um, you know, the Israel is surrounded by much, much larger Arab populations. You know, I, I you don't, you don't throw rocks if you're living in a glass house. You know, you have to you have to make peace with your neighbors. You cannot live in peace. You cannot live a good life unless you make peace with your neighbors. And it seems to me that the Netanyahu government is going in exactly the opposite direction. You know, barbarians at the gate, everybody to arms, let's go and fight. And I don't I don't quite understand what the point is, what they're hoping to achieve. And it seems to me that it's just Netanyahu, you know, buying another few months or years of his political life with the blood of Israelis and the blood of Palestinians. I maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong, but it you know everything I see is suggesting that this is what's going on. And meanwhile, mostly innocent people are paying the price. You know, the Gaza Strip is, you know. <laughs> Their political leadership is Hamas, but 44% of the population are below the age of 14. They're children. What what crime have they com- they com- they committed? You know, boys and girls. What what have they done to anybody to deserve to be killed? With, like, if we look at what Israel was doing for the last few years. You know, LGBT plus NOIQ, that's kind of whatever the plus, all the different things are. Like having the telly in the telly wave, like the gay capital of the world. Like when you consider who was surrounded and their religious beliefs, was that something to kind of annoy them as well? Well, I don't know if that was to annoy them. You know, I think that was just because they were treating the the Israelis to exactly the same globalist agenda as they are treating all the other Western countries. You know, uh, the LGBT thing, the the destruction of the family. I I also didn't realize that a lot of people in Israel are actually poor. That poverty is rampant. That 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 people are not necessarily well off. You know, they're they're successful. Bis- I think. You know, the, the more I the more I learned about Israel, the more it reminded me of Ireland, you know. And 
because also my Irish friend Todd tell me that not very many people in Ireland are very awake that you know uh, censorship is very aggressive that propaganda it's is totally very good. I mean I'm Irish it's compared to what it was yes. like in my day I'm shocked at how people yes. are just complaint yes. like there's yes. a high percentage that lined up as well for their quadruple booster and yeah they are they're attacking yes. the other people so it's a different nation than it was 40 years ago yeah yeah and you know the the, the, the more I heard about how things were in Israel, the more it sounded to me exactly like in Ireland. And you, you guys also had uh, LGBT St. Patrick's Day parade, uh, and and schools are being uh, completely transformed into these, you know, social justice, LGBT, whatever, uh, indoctrination camps, and people are besides themselves. And uh, well, no, that's gonna that's gonna I think. Sorry, did something break? Yeah, just we just missed you for about three seconds there. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, so you know, uh, it seems to me that all of this has been very unpopular, and the things were in Israel were not going well at all for Netanyahu and that he was on the verge of being uh, impeached uh, and thrown out of office and that he had very, very high probability of winding up in jail. And well, you know, there you go. You, you go to war, you go to war and you, you know, you scream barbarians at the gate and you mobilize the whole society uh, and you, and you orchestrate a big war. And, uh, I don't know if that's coming to Ireland. I, I, I hope not, but it, you know, I, the... I think it is. Cause if you look at like the world economic forum and who are all their puppets, like the leader of Ireland is one of them puppets. So is the other guy that was previously, who's supposed to be airmarked for the uh, European parliament. Like they're all puppets. And yes, 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 exactly. And, like the thing is a lot of people think like Trump is going to be the savior and he's, he's the guy that there was no wars under him. But I mean, I saw him, with uh, Schwab, and he's basically saying what a great man he is and everything. So he, it, the way I look at that is he's exactly like Trudeau in Canada. At one stage, it was a fantastic country, and half the world was moving there. And then he's told a different narrative, and everybody hates him. And I think it's people think that Trump is going to be the saving grace, whether he gets in or not. Like people think because he's attacked, it's it's all like. Oh, he's the poor victim, but that's all orchestrated. I I don't know what your thoughts on that, but I'm convinced. Like just from all the things I've seen over the years, that I don't think there's anybody in power that's not controlled. Well, I think it's very difficult to judge these things, you know, because you cannot, you know, nowadays you cannot come right out and and say things openly. You know, if you if you came out and you said. Well, okay, some people can, some people can maybe, you know, Viktor Orban, maybe Alexander Lukashenko in Belarus, they can and they do and they have support of their people. But, um, you know, if you came out and you said, you know, this LGBT stuff is nonsense, there's only two genders, you're, you're dead, you're finished. I mean, people have lost their careers just for saying that there are only two genders, men and women literally you know and and people get character assassinated for less and they get uh their careers get destroyed for less 
And so if you're running for a political office, you don't, you don't need the media to destroy you. And <clears throat> we saw also what happened to Jeremy Corbyn. You know, when they wanted to destroy him, they, they used his support for the Palestinian causes. They labeled him an anti-Semite. They ran with that and they succeeded. They destroyed him and they turned uh, the Labour Party over to their own puppet boy, Keir Starmer, uh, the great friend of uh, Jimmy Saville, right? And uh, so I think that for people who are in power, it is very difficult for us to judge where they stand. You know, it's not difficult to judge where, you know, Justin Trudeau stands or, or Joe Biden, but people like uh, Robert F. Kennedy, Donald Trump, um, you know, Ron DeSantis. I would, I, would, I would even say people like German Chancellor Olaf Scholz and Emmanuel Macron. It's very, very difficult to judge where they stand because they cannot do things out in the open. They cannot say things as they see them. They have to kind of um, they have to kind of uh, move between the goalposts very, very carefully, you know. And then maybe only get a glimpse of what they're doing because they'll be making very clear declarations, but then you'll see that they're really dragging their feet feet when it comes to execution. You know, uh, Olaf Scholz spent a lot of time speaking with Vladimir Putin. It seemed that, they, that you know, he was maybe trying to avoid going to war. And then, you know, when the war happened, uh, the Germans were dragging their feet on providing military support to Ukraine, even though they were declaring themselves to be fully behind Ukraine for, you know, for as long as it takes, all, all that it's, it takes and so forth. And then they would send them, you know, weaponry that was very difficult to use, very difficult to maintain or didn't function at all. The same happened from Italian government. So, so, so you know, like we are, we are at a juncture when uh, nothing is what it seems. Nothing is what it seems. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Robert F. Kennedy and Donald Trump were making statements to make sure that they cannot be subjected to a, to a, a, a hysterical media witch hunt and that they won't jeopardize their chances of, of uh, winning in the, in, the, in the elections. But we'll find out. We'll find out because... Uh, you know, there are things that are happening in the world are extremely strange. And I think it's very difficult to judge where we're at and who's who in the game. And uh, it'll be, it'll take time before we can dis, dis you know, well, and, and you know, like when you mentioned uh, Trump being pictured with Klaus Schwab and they seem like they're friendly. You can also see pictures of Klaus Schwab with Vladimir Putin and they seem friendly and Vladimir Putin is friendly with, uh, with, and Trump Klaus with Schwab Epstein and he's saying that he was uh, only visiting. <laughs> right. But you know, when, when, um, when, when it's time for action, 
you see that consistently everything Vladimir Putin does uh, indicates that he is not, um, you know, controlled opposition, that he is not owned, that he is, you know, really in earnest fighting to defend Russia's sovereignty. And uh, I could say the same about Donald Trump, because when you when you analyze his four years in, in, uh, in the White House, he was doing some crazy shit. But there was a method to the madness. And then many of the very, very controversial things he had done turned out to be a lot more interesting on, on, uh, in, you know, in hindsight. And very consistently, everything he did was rolling back the imperial foot, footprint of the United States around the world. You know, he wanted to withdraw f- troops from, from Afghanistan. He wanted to withdraw troops from, um, from Germany. He wanted to withdraw troops from Syria. Uh, he tried to make peace between uh, United States and North Korea and so on and so forth. Many, many, many different things. I think that one very, very grave mistake uh, he did was the assassination of the of the Iranian general, whose name slip, slips my mind at the moment, but you probably know the, the episode I was, I was talking about. Um, so anyway, you know, long story short, we have to, we have to kind of observe very carefully and be patient and give people the benefit of the doubt. You know, there was a time when Edward Snowden was also part of the deep state and the military industrial complex. And then, you know, when the time came, he gave them a, a very, very painful crippling blow in, in, you know, on the, on, on the, in the court of public opinion. So it's hard to judge who's who. And I'm not sure because you know we were talking about Ireland, and I've seen letters the from the Ukraine, so they're they're trying to conscription out bringing uh, the men back. But I've also seen on another show where they're actually trying to get the women as well, which is kind of strange in this day and age that you don't have a choice. I mean, some people want to fight. I would never fight for anybody because you know, <laughs> but they're actually being made to leave the country that they. You know they escaped Ukraine, they escaped the war, and now they're being made go back to to fight, and I know I possibly die. Yes, yes, um, I, I I think it's a tragic thing, and I, as as somebody who, when I was in my twenties, volunteered to go to war, and uh, I was ready to fight and die for my country, I would tell every single person who is um, considering doing this, don't because you're just gonna you're just gonna get hurt and possibly die for no good reason um, the the idea of fighting for one's country is is maybe appealing at the moment where you think that you have external enemies who are you know jeopardizing your life but you know I went into Croatian military I, I was there in war um, we won our quote unquote freedom from you know uh, the from well we won our independence from former yugoslavia you know but then our political leadership 
gave that, gave the country sovereignty on a silver platter to Brussels and to Washington. And so today, we are, you know, people in Croatia are much, much worse off than we were before the war. You know, quality of life, life has deteriorated. Uh, we have no sovereignty left whatsoever. We're using the euro um, in, in our country. The, the central bank and the government have no, um, no independence to manage, to manage uh, the economic policy as it should be. We just have to follow the, the dictate from Brussels. That's the liberty we want. And then also when you think about what does it mean to, to fight for your country, um, for what? For, for, for roads? For rocks? For, for what exactly? You know, you have to think about that because it, you have one life here. Don't, you know, don't squander it on some stupid political project that doesn't concern you in the least. You know, we in Croatia, we went from being dominated by Belgrade to being dominated by Brussels. And as it turns out, Brussels is a much crueler dominatrix than Belgrade ever was. And that's the liberty that we won. And, you know, thousands of young men sacrificed themselves for that. It's a tragedy. So, you know, if you, if you think you're going to go fight for Ukraine or you're going to fight for Israel or wherever think think twice and maybe you know maybe your life is worth more than more than that I'm that's not actually croatia sorry grace but like regarding that because in ireland because i'm obviously paying attention to everything that's going on and i have a lot of friends in the uk all of the asylum seekers that have come in they're all military age and there's even people saying that there was weapons found and everything is this going to be martial law that they're going to introduce? Are they, is it going to be a religious war that they're going to push? Because it's not making sense. And now people are standing up and they're starting to block it. But like they're filling hotels, they're signing contracts for two years to fill them up with military men. You, I can understand, like in Syria, if there's a family, you know, displaced, there's children, women, everybody understands that. But there's people coming here with fantastic clothes, latest mobile phones. And they're all military men. Uh, yes, I think that the the risk and the danger are very much real. Um, it's not an accident that the, these are all military-aged men. And I think that there's very high likelihood that uh, there are weapons caches around Ireland. This is, uh, this is the same playbook as uh, the Operation Gladio. The Operation Gladio uh, was uh, in was was conducted during the 1970s and 1980s, early early 80s in uh, in Italy and Germany and I think Belgium as well. It was uh, it was uh, orchestrated by NATO, and so basically this was it wasn't it wasn't the immigrants, but it was. Um, ostensibly uh, far-left, extreme-left communist um, militias and terror groups who were, uh, who were conducting terror uh, attacks on, you know, on people in Italy, in Germany. They blew up a nightclub in, in Germany. They blew up, the, they caused several bomb explosions in, uh, in Italian cities. They blew up the train station in Bologna in 1978, 79, I forget. 
and they killed something like 80 or 90 people who were who were you know comm commuters and uh, as it turned out and this is not a conspiracy this was an operation conducted by nato and they even they even kidnapped uh, italian prime minister aldo moro and assassinated him and they you know they blamed left wing extremists for it the, the red brigade brigate rosse right but it was nato behind it and so you know what we see today is probably some some variation of that of that playbook you know because i think that you know when the social pressures in ireland in, in a place like ireland boil over and the ordinary people find common cause with the military and the police because you know irish police are still irish and irish military are still irish they might sympathize with the plight of the irish people irish police might sympathize with the plight of the irish families so you bring in foreigners who have no roots in the country and who are going to find cushy jobs policing the irish and then all of a sudden they're going to find themselves armed and uh being the riot control people you know when when they tell you you have to stay in 15 minute cities you have to stay in your homes and maybe you ask an irishman to to police that and maybe they're going to say that's complete nonsense and i've observed this personally here in france i, I wrote an article about it you know when they during the lockdowns when they opened the beaches in france and and the whole and and they opened them in a in a new normal kind of way you know where they had you know you couldn't just go to the beach they had a very 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 strictly defined regime of how you can go to the sea and how long you can stay and where you can go and where you cannot go and are you allowed to talk to people and all that. it was just horrible but it lasted four days because all the police that were sent to patrol this first of all they were they were local they knew the people they were supposed to police second of all it didn't none, none of it made any sense so after four days of this we were back to the new normal well you know uh, maybe that's a problem because you know you have french people policing french people but if you bring in um, i don't know algerians to police french people maybe they will not be so soft on them maybe you know they will be extremely harsh and so maybe the people who are in power will feel much safer asking harsh repression against the local population so i think this is the reason why they are bringing all these military age uh, migrants from abroad because if the social uh, if the social pressures boil over uh, they're going to need very very um, radical riot control measures and they will not they will probably not be able to rely on the you know ordinary ordinary police they will need uh, military age men from other other cultures i was just going to say earlier roy that i was in agreement with what how you described you know all the my massive migration coming in because that's the same thing as what's happening of course in the united states and uh, you know and it's just interesting how 
a little bit some people who didn't see what was happening during the pandemic they can see what's happening with the migration so that was good but when this thing happened in israel suddenly they they lost they lost all the being awake again and they fell into the same trap so well my my concern is alex how do you also respond when people say hey grace this has been happening for centuries There'll never be a solution. Tell me the solution. And then said, a lot of podcasts I hear, they only pinpoint all the things that are, you know, maybe the, the roots of it, looking at it, but then no one would say that for the solution. And of course, in my own discernment, I see and I hear solutions when people have a conversation, but I failed to use the term on the external factors, external forces are there. So even with that uh, kind of issue that's been going on for eons, it cannot be, it seems like it's not, never be, it's never resolvable because we're not looking at it from the micro to macro or, you know, we're just not looking at it in so big. So I just wanted you to please explain more or tell more on possibility of solutions especially when external factors are we can see are the major players okay okay so um here's why i think that is different this time there's one element to the equation that was never there ever in history before and that is the internet so up until the last 20 years or so, uh, we literally had to depend on, you know, printed press and radio and television for information. So for people who controlled those media, it was very easy to control the narrative. And we knew what we knew. And it was very easy for them to deceive us. Today, we see that it's very different. And, you know, going back to where we started, what I, what I started explaining to you that, you know, I lived through the outbreak of war in uh, former Yugoslavia. And I was very afraid of that happening again between Russia and the West. Um, the thing about the war in Yugoslavia that impressed me the most is that literally maybe one or two days before the, the outbreak of war, I can tell you that probably 99% of people never thought that such a thing was possible. And then once it happened, the, you know, the, the, the collective psychology flipped on a dime. And, you know, all of a sudden, the perception was we really did have enemies at the gate. We really need to all mobilize for defense. Um, there was no more nuanced discussion about this or that, you know, whether Serbs have a point in this and whether Muslims have a point in that. It was defense. Enemy was there to be destroyed. And, you know, any any military-aged man had to, you know, was felt very inclined to go and defend the country, you know, 
prepared to to die for the country <laughs> again things i think i no longer recommend at all um this is the scenario i was fearing that might happen between uh between russia and the west but it didn't happen that way at all so there wasn't you know when when russia invaded uh ukraine well you know when it started their special military operation into ukraine um the, the this whole this whole polarization of public opinion this whole you know population closing ranks be behind the leadership and being ready to go to war and everybody suddenly being uh very highly motivated to fight the war against the russians that just simply didn't happen and the reason i didn't i, well, I think it didn't happen is because the 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 traditional media have lost their power people get most of their information now through social media the views are much more diverse diverse the discussions are much more nuanced and you know the french public opinion uh, polling agency i think it's called ipof they they conducted a poll in france i think within a week of the beginning of russia's special military operation and they found that more than half the french people 57% of all the french people believed russian rationale for war okay so there wasn't this like russia is bad and evil and we have to go and kill them people had different opinions and so the you know this whole coalescing of the population and readiness to fight a war just simply never happened um and then you know nato i th i think i think that the agenda was to for all the nato countries to come together and uh, present a united front against russia this didn't happen either and nato you know nato itself carefully monitors public opinion in the member nations and they found that majority of people in nato member nations with maybe you know maybe exception of uh, countries like united kingdom and maybe poland uh, most people sympathize with russia and not with ukraine you'll never you're you're never going to hear that in mainstream media but that is the fact and i also came across a number of you know informal polls in social media but you know with a very large number of respondents and it's it's always between 70 and 80% in favor of russia who who started the war 75% it was nato um whom do you prefer vladimir putin or or uh, vladimir zelensky 80% prefer Vladimir Putin. Who do you trust more, United States or Russia? 80% trust Russia and not the United States, etc., etc. So I think that the uh I think that the internet and social media have very very meaningfully altered the equation and all the all the methods that that they have used to orchestrate wars in the past have now failed 
And I think that the critical element in all this is the truth. It's, it's, it's what we're doing here. We're trying to, you know, understand the truth and communicate the truth. And the more people we can reach, the more we can blunt the edge, the edge of these warmongers to, um, you know, to, uh, to push forward their own agendas. And I think that eventually, longer term, we, we win in our fight for peace. Thank you. Roy, you have any more thoughts? But uh, before you before you share more, Roy, Alex, in your article, you did really mention that do not watch what they do and not what they say. So I like that statement that you wrote in your article as well, because it's true. Okay. And then another thing you that you wrote as your subtitle is that sending men off to war is like the stone that kills many flies. <laughs> and that's so vivid for me. I said, how, how can you hit anyone with a, with a stone and with all the little flies? So, anyway. Well, you know, it's just an expression. It's not the, it's not the most brilliant expression. Nobody kills flies with stones. But, you know, I, I just use what, they, what people understand, right? But it's perfect. Uh, you know, it is because not only are you getting rid of military-aged men that could constitute a, a threat to your system if they, you know, if they rebel, but also war, you know, war creates the, the emergency that then excuses any kind of government abuse. You know, you can, you know, well, we can see that now with, uh, with, with Israel and Palestine, you know, when they all of a sudden they are, they are arresting people if they turn up with a Palestinian flag, they are, you know, if, if they've outlawed um, demonstrations in France, in Germany, in UK, in that support the Palestinian causes, right? Um, they are what uh, European, European Commission sent out Thierry Breton around the United States to demand that the social media censor, you know, things about the pandemic and things about Israeli Palestinian conflict. So, you know, the war creates this, this emergency that then lets them sweep everything and anything under the carpet. And even the crisis, you know, if, if, there's, a, if there's inflation and you can no longer afford the necessities of life, well, you know, they can say, well, look, the Iranians caused this big war or Vladimir Putin price hike, that's why you can't afford to live. It's a, you know, war has been incredibly helpful and useful to the Western oligarchies. But I think that the, I think that the equation has changed and the old playbooks no longer work. And I think that this is a wonderful bit of news. It, it, it is news to me. But I think that we, you know, we haven't won the, the war. We, we have to keep on insisting on learning the truth, communicating the truth, and making sure that we do not sleepwalk into another massive bloodshed on, you know, on the European continent, but anywhere, in, in, in fact. With, um, like, just getting the information out, I know podcasts have been a great way of doing it, and it seems like, you know, the popularity of, you know, obviously Rogan, Patrick, Beth David, and a few of them, 
but I've seen apparently that in Canada they're shutting down one of our previous um, uh, guests, uh, podcasters that used to be with us. He just got wiped out. They took him down, couldn't get it back on. And the others, like one is in Germany, one's in Singapore, they're basically terrified because of the laws in Germany and the different countries. And I know that they brought in a law in Ireland as well. And people are then afraid to actually even broadcast or do anything. And in another side of it is I meet a load of people and they all thank me. Thank you for what you're doing. But they're afraid to even give you a thumbs up or any support because they think they'll be targeted. And I think it's a case of we have to stand up and stop fearing them because that's why they're allowed to do it. Because if you stand up, then your neighbor goes, hey, I believe this as well. And it's going the opposite way. People are just quivering. It's like, I don't care if they bring in a law in Poland. Like, I, I'm still going to keep doing this. Well, you know, if we if we don't, uh, we are condemning our, ch our children to live under a tyrannical dictatorship, you know, and we're condemning them to a life that may not be worth living. Because you know, if if the if the oligarch is ruling the West, and these are, you know, I, I I didn't include this in my explanation in the beginning of where all these problems come from. They always come from banking oligarchies. That's been true in ancient Greece. That's been true in Rome, uh, in Italy during the Lombard banking period. Uh, it's been true of uh, the Spanish Empire. They wiped out you know the the civilization of South America. And it was true also of the of the Belgian and British empires and, and the Dutch Empire. Extremely, extremely bloody business every single time. Um, these oligarchies regard us as, as 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 cattle. We are, you know, we are worth nothing to them. And if they decide that you know people are going to live in in small pods and eat. Um, recycled insect protein in 15-minute cities, uh, that that's what's going to happen. So if we, if we allow ourselves to be intimidated into, into silence, then we are just shifting the battle to our children. I don't think we have the right to do that. And I think that you know, the one thing that's worth fighting and dying for, you know, it's, it's not the concept of the country. It's, it's your family, right? Men, women would be prepared to lay down their lives to defend their children, their family, their, you know, their, their immediate social group. And I think that is legit. But this this battle is now this battle is upon us and to to acquiesce to to capitulate to these people i it's it's an unbearable thought to me because i think we've also learned who these people are what they're like i i just cannot bear the thought of them winning, of them prevailing. And I think that we must not be afraid of them. Because, yeah, you know, some of us are going to get hurt. But they can't kill all of us, right? 
They can't put all of us into prison. And what if you break the law of that you know that you know is is not a legitimate law because you know you you broke the censorship rules. And so what? You're going to find yourself in front of some judge. Well, you know, and then what? That that judge might be a human being. They might let you off, or you might just be done that actually because. Like, I mean, I've seen the Yulees and all the people, the Blade Runners and all that, but you're talking about the judges. And like, even when I saw the letters from the Irish government trying to, you know, take the people to go into the army, if you use uh, UCC and common law, you can actually challenge the jurisdiction. And I think I'm, I'm seeing it because I'm getting a lot of guests coming on doing that, and I'm seeing it's gaining popularity. And people are realizing we weren't born slaves, yet we all are. And once yes. you actually challenge it, you say, hey, prove to me that you actually have control over me. They can't. And the more we kind of realize that, that's where the strength is. And I'm like, that's what's inspiring me. I'm seeing more and more are understanding this. And I've fought it myself. I've got courts to back off. I've got you know police to back off and everything. I mean, I see the power of this. And it's just like little old me over here. So if if you can get like thousands of people doing that, that's yes. how we take them down. Exactly, exactly. And I think that we win 100%. The only way we don't win, the only way we lose this battle is if we capitulate without a fight. And so they are trying extremely, extremely hard to induce us to do exactly that. So they're using scare tactics, intimidation. They are they're doing everything, everything for us to think, no, resistance is futile. They won, we lost. I'll just be quiet to, you know, not have any any inconveniences and any embarrassments or any, you know, problems that they could cause me. But you know, we if you do that, then you're handing them handing them a victory without a fight. And they are horrible people. They don't deserve that. You know? And then you're shifting the battle onto your children. You're saying, yeah, I can't be bothered. It's going to be on you. You're going to be having to live that battle, but, you know, probably in much, much worse conditions. We have a chance. We have a real chance. We have to seize it. And there's a lot more of us than there is of them. There's a lot more of us that there isn't that there's that there is even prison cells. They cannot fight us. They cannot even fight us. Their only hope is for us to capitulate. Let's not give it to them. Excellent. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Alex, do you want to tell them again where they can engage with you? I have this, but I have also your list of books that you. But anyway, go go ahead, please. Uh, so yes, they, I, I'm easy to find on Twitter. My handle is at Naked Hedgy, and my uh, Substack is right down here. Uh, Alex Craner's Trend Compass. Yeah, I don't know if there's an apostrophe in that, but basically, uh, Alex Craner Substack or something. It's it's easy to find. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, when you say engage with me, I also have to say that I'm hopelessly overwhelmed by correspondence. 
and uh, you know I was I was never prepared for that and I had this impulse to read and reply to every email that comes my way but now I'm about about 2000 emails behind and I'm you know if if anybody listening to this didn't hear from me I apologize but I I'm I'm very I'm having a very hard time um getting to to to, to all of it but I will I will and we appreciate all of you um, listening to us from uh, other places than United States. Thank you from Nova Scotia and from other places. And and since um, I want to make a shout out that since Roy and I are our own sponsors for our podcast, I just want to say that instead of we're looking for sponsors, but we're our own sponsors. So in the post notes, I made sure that uh, I have uh, links like the ones that I'm um, su subscribing to or not subscribing. Um, I'm recommending because, you know, I'm a holistic registered nurse doing also holistic health coaching. So I have I, I tend to forget that I have links for where people could go to for their resources for wellness from their um, water wellness and other things. So, but it will be in the post notes instead of me doing all, all of, the, making that all announcement. And I made my little ticker because we want to, and, and we want to be self-sufficient in doing this and not depending on any kind of, uh, we accept donations, of course, but you never know. <laughs> I'm always careful with people. <laughs> I'm careful. I always pray and hope that we don't attract anyone that might be a controlled opposition or anything or questionable. We want. We don't want to be added into that list, okay? And thank you. Again, please like, subscribe, and support Alex. Listen, you'll, you'll get a lot more of... Um, fulfillment and that you get more education right so even when we i classify what kind of podcast i put education because now i am properly educated so for you as well thank you and have a good evening everyone thank you very much grace and roy and all the viewers and listeners it was a pleasure to be with you today again thank you